What we do here is go back, 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 back. Welcome, welcome to The Hustle Sold Separately. We are a weekly podcast dedicated to doers, creators, entrepreneurs, innovators, CEOs, hustlers, people in and around the world that are, they're passionate, they're driven, they're in their thing, they're on their vibe, they're doing things anti-status quo, uh, just like all of our guests are that come on each week. And, uh, you know, we're very grateful to be doing what we do. Our community has drastically expanded, uh, uh, I should say greatly expanded. Um, you know, we just surpassed about 3.3 million downloads. The community is awesome. You guys continue to reach out to all of our guests as well and comment and interact with them. And I really appreciate you guys doing that. I'm Matt Gottesman, founder and editor-in-chief of hdfmagazine.com. I haven't said that in a while, but, you know, I still want to bring a little bit of awareness to that. Uh, You guys know I'm the founder of this podcast, and uh, you guys go follow me at at Matt Gottesman. That's where all my other ventures and other things that are going on. Um, Lots of changes coming with HDF, and uh, just really be grateful, really grateful to be doing what I'm doing. And you guys know that our guests that we bring on each week are uh, also talking about what's going on in real time. We don't feature just this end success notion because we know that it is not overnight and there are a lot of processes and steps to get there, some of which we're going to actually be talking about today and I'll get into that in a minute. But moreover, that we're all humans just having human experiences. It's not this, you know, this game that you see on social media um, where it's just that one constant highlight reel. It's just not. And the goal here with this podcast has been and always will be to bridge that gap um, for you guys and see that, you know, our guests are just like you at just different stages of their story. And in a lot of ways, probably, you know, um, highly connected to to what you guys are doing as well. So really grateful to be doing what we're doing. And today we're going to be talking about becoming replaceable and what that means. uh, And I've got an exceptional guest, Ari Mizell, that's on. Um, he's an entrepreneur and founder of Less Doing, and I'm going to queue up his bio in a minute. But um, some of you know, many of you may not know, about a year, year and a half ago, I got to extremely overwhelming place that a lot of entrepreneurs get. I think most people in general get, so I don't care if you're not even an entrepreneur, this is for you. You have to get to a place where you do an all-out audit on everything that you are doing and where the overwhelm is coming from and how to get rid of it. If that's systems, processes, routines, habits, you name it, um, you have to you have to dive into those details. You have to rip the bandit off and really dive into those details because sooner or later, that overwhelm is going to turn to stress and stress can manifest into a lot of other problems, including disease, and that's just not healthy for you. And so it hit me like a ton of bricks. It accelerated this year. And now we're going to be talking about it even more. So becoming replaceable is how do you work, you know, with your business to a point where uh, it can function without you. Um, and there's a lot to that. So we're going to talk with Ari. He is a self-described overwhelmologist. So this is a perfect segue for that. Uh, and founder of Less Doing. He helps entrepreneurs who have opportunity um, in excess of what their infrastructure can support find focus, flexibility, and freedom in their business. This is a very, very important topic that we're talking about. 
His very his revolutionary replaceable founder methodology enables entrepreneurs to become replaceable so they can scale their business. If you are doing everything, you will not be scaling your business. I'm just going to throw that out there as well. Uh, unless doing is built on the guiding principles described uh, in detail in his latest book, The Replaceable Founder. It is a comprehensive attack on overwhelm that offers guidance in three fundamental areas. Communicate effect, <coughs> excuse me, communicate effectively. That's like inbox zero, asynchronous communication, and six levels of, of delegation. Number two, manage projects, idea capture, process management systems, and accountability. And number three, perfect processes, optimize, automate, and outsource. And for any of you guys listening, be like, whoa, okay, these are a lot of words. Let me just make this very easy for you. We're talking about three dedicated areas that are going to basically just completely reduce your overwhelm and simplify your life. All right. That's really what we're here to do. And uh, and he's a graduate of the Wharton School of Business, a very good school, um, an Iron Man and a devoted husband to Anna and father to four children, Ben, seven, Sebastian, Lucas, six and Chloe, three. So this man clearly had to learn a few things about processes and, and managing his time. Ari, thank you for being here. I appreciate you, man. Hey, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Matt. Yeah, absolutely. So let's let's dive right in um, because this is a very important topic, and I want to you know kind of I want to get right to it. And I'm sure that your background is going to probably tell us how you got there. Um, what you know, walk us through you know how we got to here, what what was going on, and how did you eventually get into this realm where you're like, you know what, this is what I'm focusing on. Which, by the way, I think is one of the most important topics out there. Well, thank you. Um, so it all started with the Big Bang and. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect source. You still have to go back as far as I want. Source. Um, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, went to school and went to the Wharton School of Business undergrad, and I got out um, a year early, and I went to visit a friend in upstate New York, and got sucked in, sort of. I, I like to say to building this big real estate development project there. Fast forward three years later, I built the project. I was in $3 million of personal debt when I was 23, and I got diagnosed with Crohn's disease. So for those who aren't familiar, Crohn's is a chronic inflammatory condition that affects the digestive tract. It's uh, very, very painful. It's considered to be incurable. And I got really sick and really weak. And the long story short is that after a long process of cell tracking, self experimentation, I overcame the illness and went on to compete in Ironman France. And the question that I was really posed or faced with, uh, forced to face was, if you could only work an hour a day, what would you do? And that was what I was living because I had been working these 18 hour days on construction sites. And then I found myself in a situation where I could barely get more than an hour of work done in a given day because I was just so weak and so tired and so sick. And it, it really is the thing that sort of informs everything that I've done since then, because you ask somebody who works a nine to five job and you say, Hey, you know, what would you do if you could only work till four? Most of the time they just say that they'd skip lunch. But if you ask that same person, what would you do if you could only work an hour a day? It's a completely different way of thinking. It requires such different systems and processes and methods, most of which didn't exist at the time. And so I created a brand new system of productivity, which I called less doing, as in less doing, more living. And that grew into a, a bigger methodology. I worked with over a thousand clients. And then it grew into a business methodology, which I call the replaceable founder. And so what we do now is help entrepreneurs who have opportunity in excess of what their infrastructure will support to become more replaceable. You know, 
this happens. I mean, what happened to you was uh, was extreme. I mean, you're, you're talking about three million dollars and Crohn's disease. I mean, you're getting it up with a lot of stuff at this point. Um, the overwhelm happens for a lot of people. What what's going on? Do you what What do you think is starting this in a lot of ways? I mean, obviously you you had your own experiences, but from working with like over a thousand people, and just in general from your knowledge of the market. Where's this overwhelm coming from? What do, I, I know my answers, and I know I think them in general, but I want to hear from you know somebody who's been dealing with so many people and reducing that overwhelm. Why? How did they get there in the first place? What happened? You know, so most people don't know. That's mm-hmm. the problem. Is that we're just so focused on being busy uh, and putting out fires that we never take the time to stop and think about what am I actually doing? Why am I doing this? You ask somebody who says that they're busy and putting out fires, like, what do you do all day? <laughs> I, I promise you, try it. They will have a hard time telling you. Right. <laughs> they'll, they'll list like one or two things. They'll be like, I, I'm just so busy. You know, and it, it, we don't, we, it's like being underwater. You just can't see the forest for the trees. So the overwhelm is caused by not knowing what's causing the overwhelm. And I know that, that sounds really circular, but mm. think about that for a second. Like there's just, we just take on more and more and more and we just don't stop. And when we get to the point that we can't do it anymore, we keep going. Yeah, so true. It's a, you know, it's it just it, you're bringing up old feelings, brother. <laughs> when I hear that, yeah, and it actually makes complete sense. There's overwhelm from the overwhelm because it's I don't even like a lot of people. If you're not being intentional or you don't know what's going on with your day or you don't feel in control of it, there's this underlying feeling of what's going on. I don't understand, and then usually people will use any number of like fixations or more quote-unquote busy work you know yeah, they'll work harder yeah they'll work harder they'll just keep going and i and i did it i did it for a long time until i'm like this isn't gonna work anymore um uh, although it, it helped that becoming you know when i was 39 and 40 i'm like all right i'm not running my race like i'm a 25 year old anymore this isn't gonna this doesn't make sense this makes no sense and i was like and well, i was getting results uh, it but it wasn't a life and that's the the issue is i'm like all right and it, and it could have been even better results you can we can always get better so, you know, once you start to realize like, oh, wow, we got to change our approach. And I like what you said about, um, you know, most people can't answer what they're doing with their day. Now, I could, but it was unfortunate. That was very like it was a lot of busy work that um, may not have necessarily at, at times been either delegated appropriately or intentional. And it wasn't until I started I had a mentor say, like, you should audit your day every day for a week. And see like what's going on throughout the day, and like what are you doing? <laughs> that was very eye-opening to me, you know. Um, what What do you when you first get in? A, when entrepreneurs first come to you, what's the ripping off of the bandaid moment for them? That's a great question. I love that. Um, the whole replaceability concept is really scary for a lot of them. And when a founder comes to me and they're like. I don't have the right people. And, you know, we got this system to like six months ago for 50 grand. It just doesn't work. And I don't know what to do. I'm driving myself, you know, crazy. It's like, well, you're the problem. Yep. And that's probably very painful to their ego. <laughs> you know? I mean, it's, you know what, you know, the, the like five stages of grieving when someone dies, you know, that one? Yes. That's pretty much what happens, right? First, it's like, it's shock, then denial, then um, eventually, uh, and then bargaining, and then exception, and or uh, accepting. Like, I mean, literally, that's what you see go through their face. It can happen in a matter of seconds, but I see it all the time. Do you, why do you think, 
I mean, it's it would be easy to say, oh, it's the ego. But like, why do you think it's hard for entrepreneurs to just like let go the replaceability factor? Like what what have been some of their fears that they have like told you about, you know, if they're replaced or quote unquote. And, and, and by the way, for the audience, you can also explain like what replaceable means too. we can dive down that, you know, we, or we'll pro- we're probably heading in that direction anyways. in the, in the three pillars. But, um, you know, what are they so afraid of? What are what are entrepreneurs usually afraid of? Being irrelevant. You know, and the thing about legacy and like, well, if I'm not if I'm not needed by this company to operate, then what good am I or what am I worth? Or I mean, it's a it's a very deep psychological question that comes up. The truth is, is that all the work I do with productivity, I could talk about Trello and Zapier automations all day long. But at the end of the day, productivity is all about psychology and your past experiences. The things that make somebody a control freak and not being able to let go, it's trust issues like it could go back to their childhood and I'm not a psychiatrist. So like I try not to deal with those issues too much, but that's what it is. It's a hundred percent psychology. So this idea, this is what comes up a lot is, but it's mine. It's my company. It's mine. It's like, well, then you're going to die with it and it's going to die with you because what's the point of that? Right. If it doesn't live beyond you, I don't like, People might say like my children, but most people don't refer to their children as like mine. They're mine, you know? Yeah. Um, it's because they should live beyond you, right? Um, my wife doesn't belong to me. You know, she has her own life that she gets to do things like beyond me. But a company, it's like it's mine. Right. It's very juvenile in a lot of ways. And some of us just don't, don't evolve beyond that. Well, you know, um, <laughs> and I mean this in a nice way, uh, but it, it's a real way. Uh, most things and emotions are pretty juvenile. Like you have a lot of people running around in a very high emotional state, um, reacting versus you know understanding themselves at a deeper core of why they're even doing anything that they're doing. And then you know, then you start involving yeah, all kinds of triggers from when you're you're young, um, and it could have been any number of things. You know, from you know simple rejection to, you know, sky's the limit and all kinds of triggers that happened a long, long time ago. But you're absolutely right. It, it, I, I see the, the psychology all the time um, in entrepreneurship and in, I think in, um, in business in general. <laughs> business is a great place to see how people's character comes out uh, and where they're really at from a, you know, whether they're in a fear-driven state or not. Um, so I, I, I completely agree with you. I think it's very psychological. Um, and letting go. You know, um, you you said it best. It's like it'll either die with you or it'll live on through others. And well, sorry, not to interrupt. No, no, there's a really important distinction between letting go and giving up, right? And um, somebody, a friend of mine, recently just gave me a really great illustration of that. He he held um, a coin or something in his hand, and his palm was facing up, and he was squeezing onto it so tight. And he opened his hand. And he said, "That's letting go." And he flipped his hand over, and the quarter fell on the floor. And he said, "That's giving up." Mm. Um, and there's this thing that people are very few people are aware of this, but it's called the it's called well not very few people, but it's called the um, the liberty paradox, which is the difference between a positive and negative liberty liberty or a positive and negative freedom. So when people talk about freedom, which is why a lot of people become entrepreneurs, they yes. think because they want freedom. Yes. It's because they want freedom from something, right? They want freedom from the boss, freedom from the job, freedom from the nine to five, freedom from the grind, whatever it is, freedom from debt. Who knows? But that's a negative liberty. You're trying to escape something to get there. What you really should want as an entrepreneur, what the evolved entrepreneurs want, is freedom to. The freedom to do things, freedom to explore, to contribute, to leave. What better, what what more could you ask for in your business than having the freedom to leave it? Hmm. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> 
so so well put i mean no and actually i really like that uh that analogy as well too i mean and it's it's true it's uh you know letting go versus uh versus quitting and 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 i uh, and you also brought up a really great point earlier i think it becomes identity issues right you know because they're so they're so attached to um that the mine and and this is what i built and it's like uh, you know, that other point, like you said, becoming relevant. I, I, I got to a place where I looked at it as like, you know what? I can do a lot more if other people are running this, <laughs> you know? So, so I could actually be doing a lot more with my time in other areas, um, and have even more impact, but you know, but I can imagine for a long while. Yeah. You know, it was, it was an, it's an identity and that's sometimes hard to, to let go of, um, with your, you know, it, becoming a replaceable founder, you had three pillars and I, and I started to mention them in the intro, you know, about communicating effectively, managing projects and perfect processes. Let can, wherever you feel comfortable diving into them. I mean, obviously there, you've got a whole book and you've got, um, you know, workshops and things that you do this on, but whatever you feel comfortable sharing in those areas, um, they yeah. give people kind of the crux of like, Hey, this is, this is, this is where it, this is where it all goes down. Yeah, no, I'm happy to. I mean, so, those are the three main areas that we see businesses are really crippled in. And communication, I would say, is 80% of the problem. 80% of the problems in at business, I want people to make, like really listen to that, 80% of the problems in business could be solved with better communication. And I don't just mean active listening or talking about your feelings. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the systems and the structures around how we communicate, when we communicate, why we communicate, and where. And most companies don't have that. Very few companies, very few companies, are really intentional about how they communicate. When you see a company that's using email internally, that's a problem. Most companies do it, but it's a terrible thing because email is not designed for the types of conversations that happen internally. Email is a transactional communication tool, meaning, hey, Matt, what time can I be on your podcast? Oh, all right, this time, does that work? No, not. Th- it's a ping-ponging kind of a conversation. It's very different than a brainstorming, collaborative kind of conversation that would happen internally. That's why you end up with the 20 BCCs and forwards on emails when people are trying to use email internally. It's crazy to me. So you have to be intentional about the way that you communicate. Um, I can't tell you how many companies don't have a project management schema in place. They just, uh, they have things on a big board in the office or everybody uses their own thing. Somebody here uses Trello, somebody else has a big desk calendar and there's, there's just no intentionality. A lot of what I do is saying the things that everybody knows, but they don't say. Amen. That's what I pretty much do for a living as well. <laughs> I give them space yeah. to be like, like you already know this. I'm just bringing, I'm bringing validation and energy to you focusing on it so we can work through it. <laughs> you know? Um, well, I mean, the last one is processes. So I've talked to businesses that are doing 50, 60, $70 million plus revenue a year and they don't have documented processes for what they do. Wow. And that is insanity because that means that it lives in somebody's head. And what happens if that person quits or gets sick or gets killed? You know, it, it, the business can have that much of a single point of failure. And yes, it can. So the way that most people document processes, if they document at all, I find are incorrect. And we have a whole methodology about that. So I'm, I'm happy to go into any one of those if you want. Uh, depending on where you want to take this. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, maybe, uh, you know, a little bit of each, uh, the, I, I would imagine that there's resistance in this process in different, in each of these areas at different, um, because 
you're basically taking chaos if i if i've got this right you're taking yeah. you're taking chaos which has somehow quote unquote kind of turned into a an organ like an it's organized chaos where like well it works for us right i'm sure you get this from people all the time i have when i used to consult a lot of different big businesses too like well it works for us like and they're afraid of kind of taking off all these different little band-aids that have been kind of keeping the infrastructure up but it's a straw house it's really a straw house and but there's resistance there because it's like you remove one we now have to deal with all and if we have to deal with all we have to redo everything and right. that's scary for a lot of people. At least it's been what you know, I've consulted for 15 plus years and that's what it's always been. And it's like, and I, and I'm there to reassure them like, no, actually it's going to be amazing. Like we're, we're here to, you know, we're here to, to uplift and, and go forward and whatnot. And so do you deal with a lot of resistance and then how do you, how do you get around, around that and, and kind of ensure them in the process and, and get them out of their head and into forward thinking? Yeah. Uh, so I do see resistance sometimes, but I don't tend to work with those ones very often. I don't, I'm not in the business of convincing somebody that they should be replaceable. I want to help the ones that know they need it. Perfect. Uh, to do it. Well and it's a very fortunate position to work to be in. Like I work with successful entrepreneurs who have that opportunity that exceeds their infrastructure. I'm not working with side hustle people. We have resources for those kinds of people and a lot of my personal productivity stuff might help them, but that's not who I focus on. So a lot of them are at loggerheads with their own team without realizing it. Mm -hmm. And usually getting the team on board, which we do really well, is the, the sort of ticket to success because a lot of what we end up doing is protecting the entrepreneur's team from the entrepreneur's mind. Mm. Wow. <laughs> and 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 how does that um how's that process look? <laughs> yeah. The short so, answer. so you know. for one thing, we we one of the the accelerators we call it on our on our managed project session is called the external brain, which is a method for people to capture their ideas in a really effective system. Uh, again, a lot of this stuff is putting a system to things that you're doing anyway, but you don't necessarily really have a methodology on it. So you capture those ideas, but then you got to do something with them. And this puts them through a very forced or not forced, but structured pipeline so that your ideas can all get captured all day long. You can then sort them with your sort of different headspace and eventually maybe bring them to your team to work on as opposed to what normally happens, which is I'm driving in the car. I got a great fucking idea. Let me call my COO right now and change the entire business. Mm. God, I hate that. And I've been there. <laughs> yeah, I've been there. I've stressed my team out beyond belief. Uh, and now there's this space that I'm able to create because again, the entrepreneur's mind is a scary fucking place. Because it's always going, it can't be turned off, and it's constantly coming up with ideas. But just because it comes up with ideas doesn't mean that it can throw everybody else off. It doesn't mean that they're good ideas, and it also doesn't mean that they're good ideas for now. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so what kinds of things do you do that like um, that help set up the team for success dealing with a very visionary mind that can be either completely on or way off? Yeah, so everything that, that I write and that we like all of our processes and systems and things, and even our coaching program is really not designed with just the entrepreneur in mind. It's really designed for the entrepreneur and the team. I, I don't just want the founder to be replaceable. I want everybody to be more replaceable because then the organization is replaced up, not out. So 
these these resources really apply to everybody. That's sort of the big thing. And I think a lot of programs out there and not, not bashing any or anything, but a lot of them really focus on the entrepreneur where ours is a little bit more comprehensive, the whole team. Oh, no, no, you, you, you're not bashing at all. It's all <laughs> uh, no, I mean, um, you know, I, I feel like, um, you know, like you said, an entrepreneur is like solo and, and uh, well, when you're doing with the solopreneur and the, um, and the side hustle, you know, but if you're talking about effective business, that's a wee game, you know, that's a, that's, wee, right. that's a wee thing. And, um, you know, Rome, Rome wasn't built, uh, with one individual. <laughs> so, um, and I think that, um, like for me, I know as, as an entrepreneur, like I know that there's certain areas, um, finding amazing talent, I'm awesome with. I'm absolutely awesome at finding amazing talent. Managing them may not be my thing. Like I, I, you know, whenever I, um, I'm part of some, several businesses and things like that, um, you know, I, I had to understand where are my strengths and where are my weaknesses, and then also how to make sure that whatever's going on with me doesn't also affect the the systems and the flows and the processes. So, um, if there were some, some didn't have systems and flows and processes. So it's, it's an interesting thing to also like, you have to really know who you are as an individual as well too, in this entire process. Um, what about managing projects? What kinds of things do you, do you help implement with companies in, in making sure that projects don't get derailed and that like, you know, when the, when the creative mind is flowing, um, what's the stop loss put on, put on that uh, entrepreneur, you know, or that CEO from from creating havoc? Yeah, so I mean, a, a lot of it is really around creating transparency, because a lot of times with project management, you have a system, whether they're using a digital system or whiteboard or whatever it might be. They really ultimately a lot of it really isn't a lot of transparency in terms of who's really accountable and who's responsible, which are two different things. Uh, that people don't often think about. Uh, one thing is that projects and tasks need to have an owner. And a lot of times people will share that responsibility, even if they don't state that outright. There always needs to be one person, ultimately, who is responsible for any given task or project. Because if things don't go well, what normally happens is one points a finger at another, another points a finger at another, and you get this triad or octagon or whatever it might be. And you never really know who's responsible for what. And neither do they. So there's a lot of transparency issues that don't that, that come up. Another one is in terms of the way projects are managed. I really think that the Kanban layout, uh, which is if you're familiar with Trello uh, or if you're not, like lists of phases of projects, like to do, doing, done, and then tasks within them, is really the only way that human beings should organize around projects, because most people use project management tools on their side meaning that you're just going down a line, crossing things off. And the for a whole myriad of reasons that I could go into, some of them, if you want, there's a lot of psychology behind why that doesn't work and the, the things in our head that make that just really unproductive. Can you actually definitely expand on that? Um, because yeah. I, think that I think that's great because you hear that all the time about lists and whatnot. Please expand, expand on that. Yeah, sorry, that was way too seductive. I didn't mean to do that. It's very, um, it's so very. <laughs> the, there's, there's something known as the Zigarnik effect, which is from the 1920s. Uh, and basically, it's the voice in our head that pushes us to complete the uncompleted. And it's not like a woo kind of thing. This is a really measurable thing in the in the human brain. It also is a place where in, open-ended information is stored. So the problem, the short answer here, the problem with most to-do lists is that you look at the list and there's all sorts of things on it that you can't do right now, either because they're too big. Now, I, I've seen the task write book on seven people's to-do lists in my lifetime, which is absurd. 
Uh, or it's something that you can't do right now because you're waiting on someone else to do something first, and that's not noted anyway. So usually people just have a list of some sort. Now, if you look at that list, the Zigarnik effect pops up and it says, get that thing done, do that thing, do that other thing, do all those, but you can't do them right now, and it creates cognitive dissonance, and you put the brakes on any possible productivity because all your brain sees is all the shit you're not getting done. Hmm. And the, re- the way to handle that? <laughs> it's, it's Flip awesome. it on its side. Flip it on its side, like I said. So you want to have phases to do, doing, done. Now, to do, doing, done might be 20 phases. Like if we're right. talking to a real estate broker, it could be, you know, prospective property, first visit, second visit, offer made, you know, that kind of thing. But it's still this arc of things that you have to do, things you're doing now, and the things that you have accomplished and finished. Uh, and you need to have the systems need to be dynamic. You need to be able to move things from one to the other. So I'm not saying you have to use something like Trello. It makes it really easy. But you can do this with a whiteboard and post-it notes that you move around the board. They need there needs to be movement. And ideally, we we you know most in pretty much every country in the world we read from left to right. So if you look at that list, you know that we want to get everything to the right side of the the, the board. That's the end zone. Mm, it's true. I, you know. Um, I do use Trello. Uh, I haven't as much this year. Um, I I went I went back to some of the the basics. I went back to whiteboarding, and it was a very fascinating thing to do. Um, I put the vision on the far outskirts of the board. I got one of those massive um, black glass boards. The vision on the far outskirts of the board, and then um, I started um, working my way in. And then the very end is basically um, moving from what are all the things that have to get done to get to this next phase? Then what are the things when well, then at that phase, what are the next things that have to get to the next phase and so forth and so on. And it was an interesting thing, mapping them out, writing them on the, on the board and then, and then checking them off intentionally as those things were getting done. Um, because you're right. It's that, that movement of actually like, if you know where you're going, then you can start dissecting all of the things that are needed to get there. And they have to happen in different phases um, because you obviously can't do them all at one time. It's just taking that time up front to actually say, all right, let me actually think about <laughs> what this whole thing entails and what will it actually get me or is the the, whole, the, the theory of what it will actually get me. You know, hopefully it's intentional about why you're doing it in the first place. But you're absolutely right that that writing down was a, was a, uh, a game changer for sure. I mean, I, I felt like I was... Um, prior to about two years ago, just constant to-do lists. Now, I mean, I'll, I might write down the to-do list of the, of the day, but they're very specific. They're very action just to what's on the board, you know. But, you're but right. that's not a to-do list. That's a doing list. That's, that's a doing list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and I'm going to have to change it because I actually called it a get-to-do list because uh, I don't call I don't say to-do. I say get-to-do. So now I'm going to say um, got-to-doing <laughs> or something. But, but you're right. Uh, it is a doing list. Absolutely. Um, and that was a big game changer for me. So you're, you're right. Um, uh, and you know, obviously with Trello, anybody listening you know, Trello is just a really great, um, you know, project management, kind of a, a cool, simple tool to really use to like, look at, you know, how you compartmentalize your, your list side by side. Um, and I've, I've also, you know, this kind of leads into the perfect processes part. Something that I, I'd love for you to expand on that I realize is that um, in, a, in a rebuilding era, I started documenting how I was rebuilding each of the areas that I'm going to delegate and started to delegate them. But I actually started documenting them for a change. Um, and so that way it would be easy to pass things off and say, hey, here's exactly what I need in each of those areas. Um, 
what do you but there's so many now there's so many that that goes way further i mean i'm that's at a simplistic standpoint what do you recommend in in the the perfect processes and things to think about and nowadays i mean they've got even like great you know software out there like trainual and other things where you can actually really make sure that um you know your processes are, are spread throughout the entire organization yeah so uh as far as a tool i like process street um trainual is actually really good for like onboarding uh, candidates and clients, or not clients, but onboarding like um, employees. Mm. But for general process management, I really like Process Street. Uh, and the big thing is that when people document processes, they document them the wrong way, essentially documenting like a copy of a copy. So what most people will do is they'll take a screencast, right, of them doing something, give it to a VA, and say, do the process. The problem with that, again, is that you're having them try to copy your shortcuts and things that you've been doing because you've been doing it for a long time. Simple hack, the right way to do it is to take that screencast, give it to the VA and say, don't do the process, write the checklist. Mm. And have them write the checklist out and then don't give it back to me, give it to a third person and have them run through it. It will never work, ever. And that's amazing because now you get to fix it step by step. And ultimately, so for example, you get to step two and it says, open the payroll document for November. And that third person says, where's the payroll document? I don't <laughs> want you know, and then you get down to step seven and it says, now when you're done with this step, click the big red button. And that person says, I don't see a big red button. And you say, oh, right, because I was logged in as an admin and you're not. So I got to fix that. And you work through it that way. And you can do this for a five-step process or a 180-step process. And you end up with a process that is so perfect and so bulletproof that you've now shown that a tertiary level of person can complete it, which effectively means somebody off the street could do it. And once you do that, you've got an efficient process that is optimized. And then automation becomes really obvious. You know, it, that's so key, too, because if you, you also think about it, um, when a lot of companies don't have that down pat, what happens is the individual, um, that third, that tertiary level person, either A, has to ask a million different questions, um, which I think you should never be shy to ask a lot of questions, but leads into B, more often than not, people are afraid to ask a lot of different questions because they don't want to look like they don't know what they're doing, even though the stuff that they were given doesn't look like they knew what they were doing. <laughs> and then thus leads into a whole psychological warfare <laughs> internally in an organization and, and it decreases productivity and efficiency. Um, so, uh, you know, I like this idea of, um, you know, Kaizen, to processes, you know, actually breaking down the entire process step by step and um, and giving, you know, what what activity must be done with each single one. And then I, I think people obviously it takes time. Right. I mean, because that's that the people can get a little hard on themselves if they're thinking like they're going to nail it the first time. Well, sometimes you don't know what you don't know until a question comes up from somebody. I'm, you know, I'm very lean startup that way. Like when somebody asks like, oh, well, what about this? Like, you know what? I forgot that. Thank you. So do you, I mean, do these things take time, right? They do take time. And you know that you mentioned something about people being afraid to sort of speak up if they make a mistake. That is another issue that comes down to communication. If you don't have a culture that accepts and welcomes, you know, the identification of problems like that, then you're going to have those problems. And, you know, and that, and cultural issues uh, in an organization are, are everything because um, environments where people don't feel safe um you know to express themselves are also not learning environments for them and they're also not you know and then and then you've got just kind of a you lose a lot of efficiency you lose a lot of profitability in my opinion um you know and it's and it's a 
it's an area that I, do you think that it's getting it's, it's a hard question to ask and it's a very vague question at the same time, but do you think it's getting better in the US um, in terms of um, companies I mean like I feel like the Googles and the the Facebooks and um, you know the Tom shoes of the world like over the last so many years kind of started that revolution of like hey we need to change the way culture is done inside of a company um, do you feel like you're seeing a lot more companies transition over into really being involved in the culture and, and getting having more of like an open ended communication style? I think they say that they are. Thank you. But I don't really see it happening. Thank you. I truly appreciate your your honesty on that. And I completely agree with you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, all the, the programs, the retreats, the nap rooms and the, you know, on hand, like psychiatrists and stuff, it, it's it's lip service, in my opinion, unfortunately. Absolutely. And I, and I wonder if it's, you know, just, oh, we need to start thinking about doing this. Like, look, do you want to start doing that? Is your why powerful enough that you want to transform people or are you just a corporate dude or, or lady that's just like, because that's what we're supposed to be doing. Because if you don't know why you're doing it, it's never going to have the same impact as actually giving a shit, as actually really, really, truly caring about people and people that work in your organization and, and, and make it thrive. Like caring about people actually makes a company do really well. But I feel like a lot of people are still kind of stuck in the dynamics. But again, back to your point in the beginning, psychology and psychological warfare in a way. So Yes. You know, that's right. What what would be like some of the most immediate first steps you recommend to anybody? Um, you know, needs to start thinking about having. Okay, so have, creating the mindset of. Let's say there's some CEOs listening right now. We've got a few of them that listen out there, um, and they're running a you know small to medium sized business or a bigger organization. I've got a few of those, um, and this is becoming more of a top priority. There, you know, what are some of the things that you recommend the most immediate steps? And then, by the way, this could be also just for, for entrepreneurs, you know, and solopreneurs and, and or just people in your daily lives. Like, what do you recommend are some most immediate steps um, that you need to take to get you a into the mindset? And then after you're in the mindset, just to start kind of initiating the process. Start tracking your time. I mean, honestly, in the time of your team, do it as a, as a fun project together, but just start seeing where you're spending your time. Uh, and there's so many different ways to do it, but there's one particular that I love right now, which is it's a device called the Timular. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's like a, it's like a very large die and it has the different, you write down different activities on each side, like podcasting or finance work, and you just turn it over, physically turn it over to the thing that you're doing when you're doing it. Uh, it makes multitasking very difficult and it will start to give you some really great insights into how you actually are spending your time. And it all starts there. Awareness is where it starts. Timular. I'm looking it up actually as you speak. Uh, this is great. Is, is, is It's a physical product or is it a... Um, uh, it's, a it's a physical product that you put on your desk. It's awesome. Oh, beautiful. I'm going to probably order this. And then you just use the app as well here, it looks like. Yes. Um, amazing. I like that. Yeah. So it'll just like, it'll audit the hell out of you. Like, uh-uh. <laughs> you picked up when you did this, then you picked up when you did that. And, and again, I think that, that driving your, your actions into an intention and becoming more present shows you exactly, it, it, it makes you so aware. It makes you like, oh, wow, like I was just about to do it right now. Like, oh, that's what I do all day. You know what I mean? Uh, and it's, it's interesting to kind of catch yourself doing that. Um, well, let me just give you an example of something, you know, so I, I, um, I was recently talking to a husband of a friend of mine, 
and he works in finance and a specific area of it. So I'm asking him questions about it. And I said to him eventually, I was like, you know, what do you, what do you actually do all day? Like, what do you do during the day? What does that time look like? And he said that most of this time is spent building PowerPoint decks. I was like, bullshit. There's no way that you're spending 12 hours a day in the office, which is what he's doing, on PowerPoint. It's not possible. And if you are, then you, there's, there's an inefficiency that needs to be looked at. You know, but that's what his answer was. Wow. 12 hours a day working on PowerPoint decks. Did you guys get to the, uh, did you guys get to the, was there more that was really going on during the day or, or, or what no, was... I don't, I don't offer my help unsolicited. So, I... no. <laughs> <laughs> so, so true. I got to that place in my life and it's been lovely ever since. <laughs> like, it doesn't, it doesn't help anybody if I do that. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then there's the, also the solicited, uh, help, but that's like, you know, how much time are we talking here? <laughs> Back to the whole, the whole purpose here of time. Um, where can people find out about you and connect with you online? So everything is at lessdoing.com. Uh, but uh, particularly your listeners might be interested in a free video mini course that we created. It's totally free, just value add. And it goes into a little bit more depth in the project management, communication and processes. Uh, they can go to less.do, that's D-O, slash foundations. Less.do slash foundations. Everybody listening, you cannot tell me that you guys are living your best life because you have like all this amazing time. <laughs> so let's just check it right here. So let's dot do uh, forward slash. What was that again? Uh, slash foundations. Slash foundations. You guys, be sure to check that. Out. And then, um, where can they find you? Like on on social. You're on you're on um, Instagram at Ari Mizell, right? Yes. Uh, everybody listening at A R I M E I S E L. Uh, yes. be sure to reach out to him. Um, you know, I, I can only imagine, <laughs> I, I hope you, I mean, on one hand, I hope they do because we have a very great community that's very interactive. And on the other hand, they, oh, they may not because they might be very intimidated about dealing with the problems and then, or you may get into the day to be like, Ari, please help me <laughs> when it comes to this. But, um, you know, I'll what, let you know. <laughs> yeah, so it'll go one of two ways. It'll be crickets like, uh, uh-uh, I'm not dealing with my shit or, Oh holy shit! I need to deal with this. Um, what What do you have coming up? Like, what's What's next for you? So I uh, we have a big event coming up in October, which is our last in person live event for our coaching program, which is our Lestering Live. But every month I do a one day workshop called the Replaceable Founder Intensive that I teach here in New York, and it's it's something I just have so much fun with right now. And those are those are fairly small events. We get like twenty people at each one, and uh, I do that every month. So those are those are coming up. That's amazing, yeah. When I know we have a mutual contact that uh, that put us in touch, and he's going there, and he's he's just as excited, and I can understand why. I mean, I think when you start tackling the overwhelm, that's a very exciting thing. <laughs> so, uh, Ari, this was incredible. I really, really, truly appreciate your time. Um, and I tell all of our um, all of our guests, you're welcome back on anytime. You know, it's a journey driven podcast. So six months, a year from now looks very different. Um, you might have um, solved um, the you know top. Uh, Fortune 10 companies uh, problems <laughs> and found that it was a complete other psychological issue meltdown going on, God forbid. But And you can come back on and talk about that. But you're welcome back on anytime, man. Anytime. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And everybody listening, be sure to check out Ari. Uh, you can go to lessdoing.com. 
Um, he also had that less dot do forward slash foundations, which he said is a, is a great, um, you know, free video series. It talks a little bit about, you know, a lot of, oh, a lot about what we, what we went over here, um, on the, on the episode. Uh, you can also check him out at Ari Mizell, A-R-I-M-E-I-S-E-L on Insta. And I'm sure if you Google him, he's probably everywhere. I know. Um, you'll find him there and, you know, guys, feel free to reach out to him. You know, he's a great resource, a great <clears throat> human being trying to help the overwhelm. As you guys know, I try to do my best in that part and that's what we're all here to do. Right. So, um, Ari, really appreciate having you on the show, uh, for our listeners and, and for, you know, this entire global community. We really, truly appreciate you for myself, Matt Goddessman, Hustle Sold Separately. We are out.